Hello, Cornerstone. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, I hope you've had a great week. I hope you've enjoyed just our time, this this hundred days of pursuing Christ together, of, of just intentionally trying to seek to put ourselves in the path and presence of Jesus Christ. And, and, and let me just say this to those of you that maybe, for whatever reason, you've kind of fallen off where we're going. You maybe had a bad week last week. If you're that person, don't quit. In fact, just starting this next week, start with where we are. I would so much rather you started where we are than somehow just quit and say, oh, I can't, I can't finish it anyways. I want you to stay with us as we, as we do these 100 days together. Now, now saying that, here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to jump right into where Christian left off last week. See, he started off with this idea in John 20, 31, that, that we learned that God gave us his word. And I love how John says it. He says, so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Now, God intended that all of Scripture be an amazing means of, of putting us in his, in his path and his presence and this reality means that the Bible isn't, isn't primarily right, a, a self-help book. It isn't merely a book that allows me to, like, I don't know, live my best life now. It's a book that reveals Jesus Christ in whom we were made to find every aspect of our lives. We, we go to the pages of Scripture to know, to trust, to, to follow Him. And we won't understand ourselves and become what Christian talked about in Psalm 1, that, that well-planted people next to the, to the flowing streams of water that he intends us to be, and I'll just say this, in any other way. To become these people, however, God, God uses his word to, to do a work in us. Christian compared it right to the, to the healing of a bone. The idea is that all of us as humans were, were broken, kind of like, like a broken bone. So God gave us his word, 2 Timothy. He, he says in there, he breathed it out to make us complete. That was his whole point. We're to be made whole, like in verse 17. Now, how he does this, though, is through 16. You're in verse 16, we, there's teaching, there's reproof, there's correction. And then he kind of finishes with this idea of training. Or, <laughs> as Christian taught us, God uses his spirit-inspired word to show us, to, to teach us what the bone is to look like. He then, he then reveals to us that our bone is, is broken like, like an x-ray does, that he often then has to reset through what is called reproof. He, he provides this care and protection we need for that bone to heal like a, like a cast through correction. And the last piece of it, he uses his word to, to, to take us into rehab, to train us, to make us able to use that bone as, as God intends. Now, when Christian finished, man, I was ready to go, right? I, I wanted to be the, the, the giant oak tree and, and, and not the squash. I, I was prepared, right, to just jump into God's word. And I hope you did jump into God's word. But Christian also warned us. He kind of gave us a little alert to the fact that what he was teaching, it was only the beginning. The point is not only to hear God's word, but to be transformed by it and, and bring it to the intended end of God and, and obey it by allowing the word to come to life through how we live. Now, 15 or so years ago, I was in Detroit with a buddy. We were both 
pretty bored, so we decided to visit the Ford Museum just outside the city. As we were like walking through it, we saw all kinds of cars, all kinds of trucks. I mean, to be honest, it, it was pretty amazing. Now, when we got to the farm equipment, I spotted this old tractor that was similar to one that my grandpa had on his farm and ranch when I was, when I was growing up. Now, it, it was surrounded by ropes, but I was still able to walk around it, kind of reminiscing about driving the, the little tractor when I was younger. And I still remember how each thing worked on it. And this tractor behind those ropes looked great. But, but think about something with me for just a second. This tractor did look incredible. The museum had restored the equipment to its original, just glorious condition. But when Henry Ford designed it, you know he never meant it to sit on display in a museum. Machines like this one were created to be on farms and in fields, right? Like doing work. Every foot pedal, lever, gizmo, and gadget on the, gadget on the tractor just gleamed as, as, the, as the lights were shining down on it in the museum. But, but what it kind of caused me to think about this idea. That was never the purpose for which the tractor was ever designed. Now, let me bring this illustration to my point. I love that we've encountered the, the living Christ and that we continue to experience him through his word. I, I desperately want for you and, and for me to be the people, the, the oak trees next to flowing water like, like God designed us to be. I, I want God to, to, to heal our, our metaphorical broken bones so that we can be men and women that he intends us to be but not to be displayed like a, like a museum piece for people to ooh and awe over. The church is not a museum displaying restored people that do nothing behind velvet ropes or glass. See, God restores us so others can see the church in action. We're designed to do work. Today, to, to help us understand this vital reality, I, I want to look at the letter that James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote to a struggling group of Christians who were, who were all over the Roman Empire. The main reason he wrote to them is captured in a, in a powerful statement the Spirit led him to craft in 122. If you got your Bibles, just, just look down there, and this is what he says. He just says the simple statement, be doers of the word and not hearers only. For sure, he, he wanted them to listen to the Word of God. That, that was Christian's emphasis last week, right? But James also wanted the Word to come to life in the lives of these precious people. And that's what I want to focus on today. I want us to be in the Word. But I also want the Word to be in us so that godly actions come out of us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you open your Bibles to James 1, and, and let's explore what James means by this idea of being doers of the Word and, and why being doers of the Word is so important. Now, as you find your place in your Bible, let me do this. Let me, let me tell you about the people James was writing to. James wrote this epistle, verse 1, to the 12 tribes, he calls it, in the dispersion. That's what you'll kind of see there. Or what they were is this, this scattering that occurred when the persecution of Jewish Christians first began in Jerusalem, kind of after the death of Stephen, and they were forced to flee. And you'll see this even from, from Judea, they went, and then to Samaria, Acts 8, and then Acts 11, they went to these Jewish communities that were all around the Roman Empire. 
However, when these Jewish Christians arrived in these places thinking they would find refuge, they were not only shunned by fellow Jews for declaring that, that Jesus was the true Messiah, but they were also persecuted, sometimes even severely. Even worse, this spurning by their ethnic community left these Christians in many ways unprotected, uh, leaving them vulnerable to be exploited by the Gentiles. They were homeless, they were marginalized. In their helplessness, they were, they were cheated out of what possessions they had left. They were hauled into court, and they were subjected to kind of the, the whims of the, the wealthy and privileged Roman elites who took advantage of this condition in which they found themselves. In many ways, scholars believe these Jewish followers of Jesus Christ, they were worse off than Roman slaves. In every way possible, they were outcasts. However, what is so powerful about this letter was that James, while consoling these precious followers of Jesus Christ, desired to stir them to action in the midst of their hardship. And again, in the midst of it, not, not apart from it. He didn't see these hurting brothers and sisters in Christ as like these little frail, pristine museum pieces. Like Paul, James knew that Christians were called to represent Christ in times of plenty and in times of trial and difficulty. Before you discount what James is going to be saying here as being somehow irrelevant to your life now, understand the message delivered was intended for people in the furnace of life. The struggles they faced were daunting, but James believed these hardships could become the, the incredible backdrop for Christ to reveal his power amongst these dispersed pockets of believers and the struggles they faced. They were to, to, to step into this brutally difficult moment God had placed them in to make Christ real for the world to see. But in the back of my head, maybe in the back of yours, like, okay, so how? Well. Echoing Jesus' words in, in Luke eleven twenty eight, where he just said, look, blessed rather are those who, who, who hear the word of God and then they obey it. James connects some pretty cool dots for us. When, when you look back at verse 18, when you look down there, just look in the text, it is the word through which we are born into a new life. And I love this, which becomes then implanted in us. Look at verse 21. It's, it's the word that he wants us to see come into action. And to help us fully understand what he means, what James is going to do is he's going to compare God's word to a mirror and then give us both a, both a positive example of what it means and also a negative example of what it means to, to look at our reflection inside of this mirror. Now look down at verse 23. And what we're going to do is it's, it's going to be the first person who looks at the mirror of God's word, who, who starts out great. And this is what we see there. Look, look down there with me. He is a hearer of the word. Now let me stop here so we can catch something. There, there are way too many people who call themselves Christians who, who don't even hear God's word. They're, they're unwilling to even press into the scriptures. So on the surface, right, if, if we only stopped right there, we'd be thinking, man, are you, are you, are you kidding me? He's looking in the mirror of the word, man. He's encountering Jesus. He's, he's becoming an oak tree. He's, he's fixing up his, his spiritually broken bones. In fact, I would be saying, this dude's a man. But before now we start to get excited about him, we need to see this man just a little bit more closely. So 
Though he may appear to be like what we're seeing here, maybe the man, what's interesting is that James sees him in this terrible, vicious cycle in his life. Sure, he, if you look down there, he, he looks intently in a mirror, but what does he see? What impact does it make? What does he, he do with what he sees? What are the long-term consequences? Well, now what this guy sees when you look down here is his natural face. He sees himself in a mirror, what he is genuinely like, right? The, the warts and all. To use Christian's analogy, it's this broken bone that we learned about last week. He, he sees the x-ray and is aware that his bone is definitely broken. He looks into it, knowing, knowing he isn't right, and he sees what in some ways he already knew. He's, he's, he's a broken man. He sees the world in which he lives in, and he sees that it's broken. See, the thing about mirrors is, like x-rays, is they don't lie, and God's word never lies. He sees his condition. Now, what is so weird in this text when we read it, this, this illustration that he's presenting to us, is that James says that he now looks at himself. The, the idea is that he looks just absolutely intended. He, he studies himself, not just on like the outside, but the idea is, man, is he looks on the inside. And the crazy part is, is he just goes away. Now, I, I get it. Looking in the mirror at yourself or lately, right, as I've been looking at myself on Zoom, it's not always the most pleasant experience. But spiritually, it's catastrophic. The man sees himself, he sees his reflection in the mirror, he, he contemplates his, his appearance, and he just goes on his way. Maybe, maybe in some ways he, he may look at himself and think, well, you know what, I see myself in the mirror, and this is going to be so difficult. Why in the world would I even try? I'm so messed up. Or maybe he sees himself as not so bad <laughs> compared to the world around him, and he thinks, you know... I'm pretty good. But the takeaway for James is that there is no real effect on his life. The, the impact of what he saw, right, it, it just never took a root inside of himself. Sure, he, he may appear like a, like a museum piece, all restored and beautiful on the outside. But the danger here is that, that, that he, that, well, let me just say this, that we can become duped into thinking that we've accomplished all God requires by merely hearing his word. Then we, we either believe that God's word can't transform us so that we, in that moment we just kind of pretend everything is all good when they really aren't, or we don't see our need for God to change us. So we think, you know what, maybe I actually am good. So what does this first guy do then? James tells us in verse 24, look down in there, he immediately forgets what sort of person he was. As someone once jokingly said to me, like, whenever I forget what I look like, I, I count it a privilege. That way I don't have to deal with the mess that is my life, or I can assume the best about myself and the worst about others. Whatever the wrong view, the danger of forgetting what we see in God's Word becomes this this seedbed, and you can just see it growing, of pride. One form of pride thinks, man, God, God can't change me. There's nothing redeemable about me. And the other thinks, man, I don't need God to change me. I'm good. 
So, so let, me, let me show you an example from Scripture to show you just a little bit of what I mean. Now, as an overachiever, I've been reading ahead of everyone else in our reading plan for the last 100 days. I've already started Deuteronomy. But in chapter 8, and that's, that's where I want you to go right now, God was very concerned that his people would, and here's just the word again, forget. Now, starting in verse 11, which is what we're going to do here, watch the progression he sees towards pride. Look at verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. There it is. By not keeping not only his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Now here's the key. Then your heart is lifted up. There's pride. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God was concerned that his people would, would hear the word, they would, they would go away from the truth, and they would forget, which then he says in there, here's the progression, it leads to pride. So the moment they forgot, the moment that they walked away from God's revelation without allowing it to penetrate and take root in their lives, Pride was sure to find its way into the vacuum created by the, by the absence of God's word coming into their life. And then when pride settles in, as we find later on in Deuteronomy 8.20, the people, and it's just so sad the way it says it, they would not obey the voice of the Lord their God. The people of Israel would become, and, and they did become, James 1.22, disobedient or, or, or non-doers of the word. Worst of all, James 1.21, they were deceiving themselves more and more and more every time that they walked through this process. But, but again, like how? Well, I believe that what James is doing is he's attempting to show us this cycle of deception in James 1.22 through 24. First, we, we carefully look into the scripture, which is good and, and something that we ought to do on a regular basis. But then second, right, we, we go away without firmly landing the truth. We, we find into our lives so that it, that it takes root. Third, because the truth isn't landed into our lives, we then forget. And when we forget, pride is sure to enter into that vacuum. Finally, in our pride, we don't obey God and instead we form lives that we think are either unredeemable, not believing somehow that God can do this, this powerful work within us, or worse, we think we've arrived, especially compared to the mess we see around us in our world. We become hearers and not doers. And, and the pattern James conveys is that we look, go away, forget, and then not do, and then look and go away, forget, and not do, over and over and over again, which leads to just deeper and deeper deception in our lives. We can actually begin to think that we are living as God intended, or that this is simply just the best that we can do as we listen to countless sermons and podcasts, go to Bible studies, read Christian books, yet without ever actually living, doing as God intended. Think about it. 
When God formed Israel, he, he never meant for them to be a, a museum piece, basking and sparkling in the glow of the spotlight, but to be people who obeyed God and, and lived as doers of the word so that the world might be blessed. Sadly, by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, Israel was, was, was merely a museum piece. They were, they were relics. Some within Israel pridefully thought that they had arrived. Others probably felt pridefully just defeated, thinking actually living as God intended was impossible. They'd, they'd missed that God had designed them for so much more. And when Jesus, the Word, made flesh, he, he burst onto the scene. He demonstrated what it meant to be as doers of the Word. And this is exactly what James shows us with the second guy who, who looks into the mirror of Scripture. Now look, at, look down at verse 25. Let me, do, let me just show you this. Now, it's important to see that each aspect of this man's life is in, in complete contrast to the one who just, just merely hears. As we'll read, he, he, he lives a different cycle that produces blessings in his life so that he might bless others. Now, like the man before him, he too looks into the same mirror. However, what he sees is different. He doesn't primarily see, and you can see this down here, his natural face. But instead, look down at verse 25. The place in which now he fixes his gaze is the perfect law, the law of liberty. James's letter is likely the earliest written book of the New Testament. So when he talks about now looking into the law of liberty, he's talking about the Old Testament, but, but now with these new lenses of the knowledge that Christ is the Bible's culmination. In other words, this, this man looks into the scriptures with gospel eyes and sees its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Sure, sure he, he sees himself and, and the world in which he lives as broken, but he sees the solution in the contrast to this prior man that we looked at. He, he sees that when Jesus Christ came to earth, it wasn't only to be a, a good example, right, of how to live. He came not only offering rescue from sin through his, his work on the cross, which, by the way, is awesome, but I think sometimes we miss that there was so much more. The new covenant that that Jeremiah wrote about promised a day that was coming in which God would, would put his law within our hearts and, and would write it on our hearts. James saw that we would be able to do the law, to, to do what God required of us because through the work of Jesus Christ, he would take out the old heart and give us Ezekiel 36, these, these new hearts. He would put his spirit within us so that verse 27 in Ezekiel 36, we could live according to his word and obey him. This amazing vision of the Bible, in contrast to this first guy that we looked at, is exactly what the second man saw. Put simply, he saw by the amazing grace of God, we can do this. Let me just say that again. We can do this. So instead of going away like the first guy, when we look down at James 1.25, this guy, it says in there, persevered, or, or better, he remained in this amazing truth. He, he filled the tub of his mind just full of this truth and just bathed in it. 
He soaked in it until his fingers were like prunes. He, he saw one, what, what Christian talked about last week, he, he meditated on it, allowing the truth of the gospel just to permeate and take root deeply within his life. And the more and the more that the gospel found its home in him, the more then he delighted in it because the Bible is like, it's like looking at a masterpiece of art. The less time you spend looking at it, the less time you, you savor it. But the more and more you gaze deeply upon it, the more the, the fullness of its beauty comes to life, it just causes you to delight. You and I don't delight in it oftentimes because we don't spend the time it takes to just see its beauty fully. This is what James means by, by persevering, by remaining in it. And check this out. As we remain in this truth, unlike the first guy who forgot, the second guy, it says in here, he, he remembers. Now, although remembering can kind of sound maybe, maybe passive or kind of abstract to us, the way that God's people are to remember is active and enthusiastic. It means that we're to, to search after, to inquire, to, to try to somehow examine so that we can bring the gospel that we've remained in to life. That's what biblical remembering looks like. It is earnestly and deliberately reflecting on this, this perfect law, this, this law of liberty. It, it is rehearsing, it's recalling, it's, it's relishing God's story and our role in it. It's acknowledging who we are and, and whose we are. And then imagining how we live so that the desire formed in us by the, by the perfect law, the, the law of liberty results in this action. And then, unlike the first guy, the second guy brings all this activity from his heart and all this activity from his mind, and then he puts it into action like Christ would in the world. But what does this look like? Well, thankfully, James tells us what it looks like starting in verse 26. It means that, that looking and remaining in and remembering comes together in such a way that the, the words that come out of our mouths sound like Christ's words. Verse 27, it, it all comes together so that we, we treat the marginalized like Christ would, the orphans, the widows, the foreigners, those who are overlooked and, and maybe, even, maybe even undervalued. We see them and honor them like Christ would. It means that we operate under the rule and reign of, of Christ's kingdom instead of the way that this, this world tends to operate because the world and the system, that's, is, it's headed by Satan. It all comes together so that, that in James chapter 2, we no longer fight for power and prestige, but instead, like Christ, we, we accept a lower position and show honor to all people because they're created in the image of God. We serve like Christ, 2, 14 through 26, even at great expense to ourselves. In other words, the gospel comes to life as if Jesus were doing it, but it's us. The gospel, this, this perfect law of liberty, brings blessing into our lives, making us a channel then of, of blessing to others. That's what it looks like. So, so there's a cycle of blessing that, that's at work here. First, we, we, we carefully look into Scripture with, with lenses that search for the, the fulfillment of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Second, then we remain in it. We, we linger kind of firmly in the truth we find so that it begins to just now take, take root in us. 
Third, we, we remember by rehearsing and recalling and relishing in his story and our role in it, imagining how we're to live with the desire that would bring it to life as Christ would. Finally, we do what it says. We bring it to life with the heart of Christ, taking the blessings we've received to then bless others. We truly become doers of the word, not just hearers. And the pattern James shows us is that we look remain, remember, do. And then we look, remain, and remember, and do. And we do it over and over again, which leads verse 25. And I love how he says this. This person that does it will be blessed in all of his doing. And instead of now becoming like this, this museum piece, this tractor in a museum, we become who God intends us to be. Again, we're supposed to get dirty and and beat up and scratched like a tractor, like Christ did as we do the work he's called us to. That's what puts God on display. Now, let me go back to the question I started asking when we began this series. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be like that that old Ford tractor that, that sits in a museum behind velvet ropes, pristine and and glowing the light? Or do you want to be like that old Ford tractor on my grandpa's farm? Sure, it's, it's worn out and battered from years of work, but it's functioning in the way that, that it was designed to. Do you want to have a life of deception or do you want to live a life that is blessed to be a blessing? I, I, I called my dad today and I asked him, I said, what happened to that old tractor? He, he paused for a second and let me know that, that when my grandparents' ranch and farm was, was sold at auction, the tractor went to a new home. And then he said to me, it was a great little tractor. We used it all around our, our, your grandparents' place to, to do the ranch work that needed to be done. And then after a small pause, he finished by saying, it served its purpose well. And I pray that you choose the life of a doer of the word and not just to hear, and also serve your purpose well.